Well, happy 4th of July. So we had some um, special birthdays this weekend, but we have another one, not, not today, but tomorrow, and that is Craig's birthday is tomorrow. So happy birthday to Craig um, a day early. And I'm sure we have other birthdays. If we forgot you, I apologize. Um, what a, a wonderful day. I love holidays, love celebrations. And the 4th of July is one of my favorite ones. You just hang out with family, you eat, you know, it's a great time of year. And um, I was just thinking about the 4th of July and just how much I appreciate our country. And I wanted to tell you just a, a few details about the 4th of July. The first one is, did you know that uh, the official day that we declared our independence, the, the day the vote took place was July 2nd? How many of you guys knew that? And uh, they just didn't publish it until July 4th. So that's the day that we celebrate it. Only, did you know that on the 4th of July, only two people um, signed the Declaration of Independence? Um, I'll give you one guess. Who was one of the people? John Hancock. He was the very first one to sign. And he signed uh, with big letters because back then maybe they didn't have glasses and he wanted the king to be able to read his name. Um, do you know what the population of the United States was back then? Um, it was uh, 2.5 million people. Um, our country has grown. Man, there's way more people than that just in, the, just in L.A. Um, there, there are today over 331 million people. And um, people spend $301 million on fireworks. Um, that's, uh, that's awesome. Um, and uh, did you know this? This is interesting. Did you know that three of our founding fathers died on the 4th of July? Um, uh, it's interesting, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson both died on the same day, and then five years later, James Monroe died. died. Now, this, is the, this last statistic is one that I know that you guys are all very interested in, and that is, did you know that 150 hot dogs are going to be eaten today? 150 million. 150 million hot dogs are going to be eaten today. In the worship team gathering, I was asking, who's going to eat hot dogs? And nobody had hot dogs on their agenda. So um, I suppose we're an exception because we're in Orange County and we don't eat hot dogs. I don't know. Um, I just want to say I am very thankful for our country. And there really is no greater country that I can think of. Um, people complain a lot about the United States. And every year around election time, no matter who is being elected, there's a group of people who say, if, my, if the person I'm not voting for gets elected, I'm leaving the country. Have you ever heard anybody say that? But guess how many of them actually leave? None. Um, there, there are no boats of people leaving the United States to try to get somewhere else. We truly live in a wonderful country. The times that I've been traveling internationally, I just think about the legal system of, of other countries, and, and a lot of things can go wrong in the United States and our legal system. But, man, there, uh, you go to other countries, and it's like I, I felt at risk. Man, I hope nothing goes wrong. And you hear about just in other countries, I talked to somebody recently who they were driving in about – um, like five or six times on one trip, they got pulled over by the police. And if they p gave them money, they let them go. They probably called their friends and said, hey, there's a guy giving out money. And they just pulled off, pulled, you know, he just got pulled over a bunch of times. I was saying one time I was in another country and I needed to use the restroom. And somebody said, hey, it's right over there. And I got about 15 feet away from it and I almost threw up. And I just thought, oh, my goodness. And on the way back, 
Uh, I stopped at this gas station in, in L.A. that is normally just disgusting. The bathrooms are disgusting. And I walked into that same disgusting bathroom, and I thought, man, this place is amazing. <laughs> it was so nice to be there. Um, we are so blessed to live here in the United States. And uh, one of the things that I think about is um, our topic this morning is uh, what's the only good boast? And we'll get into this later, but the point of a boast is what gives you confidence in life? What are you proud of? What do you rely on? And I was thinking about as citizens of the United States, we can rely on things, on structure, on finances, on an economy, um, on a legal system. We can rely on and trust, in a sense, our country that can give us confidence. And a lot of times when people see things economically or politically going a direction they don't like, it's unnerving, it's stressful. People feel anxiety and concern about the future. And what you find out is that in many cases, we can trust our country. And I want to take a step back even further and think about what is our confidence in? What, what do you trust? And when you think about your own personal assets, what do you trust? What gives you confidence to face the future? Is it your personality? You ever think to yourself, man, I, I got a good personality. Some people have bad personalities. Mine's good. I am an intelligent person. I can figure things out. Um, is it dignity? I, I've met people that are just, they're dignified. The way that they carry themselves, they're respectful, respectable. Some people have amazing business ability. And they can just, they can grab a hold of a business. They can make it work. Some people are self-disciplined. Uh, they have an, others have an ability to influence people. You put them in a room and they can go a different, a certain direction and they influence people. Some people are the kind of people, man, they just stick to things. No matter what goes wrong, they don't give up. They stick to it. They work hard. Um, there's other people I've thought about um, that I just think, man, what an amazingly powerful support system they have. I remember growing up um, feeling a little bit of stress about becoming a dad and getting married and having kids. And, and, and I just thought about, man, what happens if I don't have a job and I can't afford to pay for the things that we need in life? But I thought, you know what? My parents have a room in their house and they'd let us live there. And Michelle's parents have a room in their house and they'd let us live there. And I just thought about how I'm not in this life alone. I have a support system. I have people that are there to encourage me and help me and support me. So as you think about those things in your life, if you were to identify it, what would you say is your greatest asset? I remember uh, graduating from high school, I was going to get my first job. So I'm in an interview with this prospective employer. And one of the things that I said to him in this interview, and I, I don't remember all of it, but I do remember saying this to him. I just said, I just want you to know that um, I learned fast. I knew nothing about this place I was going to be working. And I said, I want you to know I'm intelligent. I work, I, I learn fast. And not only that, I work hard. I will work from Monday through Saturday. I don't work on Sundays, but I'll work from Monday to Saturday as long as much as you want me to work. And I told him, within a year, I'm going to be the best employee you have. And, uh, you know, I'm 18 years old telling, th there's these other people been working in my company for 20 years, and I just felt like, you know, I don't know anything about this. I can't start today and be the best one. But I was confident that within a year, 
I could learn whatever these other people knew and that I was going to be the most valuable employee. The amazing thing, I mean, he hired me. I don't know, uh, you know, but that was like, a, that for me, I had confidence in those things. I just want to ask you, what, in what do you trust? What is your greatest asset? And um, as we think about this, we should trust our relationship with God. Whatever it is that you would fill in that slot with ultimately is not worthy of trust. There's nothing that you have that you can't lose. As far as our country, our, our country is great, but there are a lot of countries in history that have been great and that have folded. Countries that have gone from doing very well to just doing terribly. There's nothing in life that is secure other than our personal relationship with Christ. And so our, our, our passage this morning, the only good boast, uh, we find it in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. If you have your Bibles, open up. This is a, a short passage, and, um, there, but there, it, is just, it is so key to life. Let me read it, and then we'll consider a few things. Jeremiah 9, 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight declares the Lord. I remember as a, as a new Christian, I went to a church, and I had read this verse in my devotions, and, and the, the pastor's wife, it, you know, it was after church, we were on our way to lunch, and, and she just says to me, um, she, she's talking to me about pridefulness, and I guess she, she sensed that same pridefulness that got expressed to my potential employer. Um, it was like probably everywhere in my life, and she was talking to me about pridefulness, and just the importance of being humble. And at, at the time, I, I didn't realize that it was probably aimed at things she saw. I just thought she was just generally talking about things. And, um, and I remember saying to her in this conversation, you know, people shouldn't boast and they shouldn't be prideful. But the only thing that it's okay to be prideful about is your knowledge of God. And the more that a person knows Scripture and the more they, knows, they know God, well, you can be prideful about that. You can boast about that. And I was referring to this verse, and she started trying to explain to me, no, I, I don't think that's the point of the verse. And, um, and that isn't the point of the verse. It's not that we pride ourselves even in what we know about God. It is that God himself is our boast. He's the one that we trust. He's the one in which we have confidence. It's interesting, this verse is quoted twice in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul talks about this verse, and it really is, this concept is the core of Christianity. One time is in 1 Corinthians 1.26, Paul's talking about salvation. And he just says, God didn't save you because you're great. And then he quotes this verse. Um, when he's talking about his own boldness in ministry, what gives him confidence to do the things that he's going to do, he quotes this verse. He says this in 2 Corinthians 10, 17, Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. 
For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but it's the one whom the Lord commends. And so he's just, as he talks about Christianity and salvation, as he talks about living out the Christian life and doing ministry, this verse is what he thinks about it. It is an incredibly important foundation for our life. So kind of our summary today would just be this. Nobody should look for security and protection in their own talents and abilities. Our confidence for the future should be based on our relationship with God. And when we have a relationship with God, what we know of his character should be expressed in our own character. So we're going to see two important things today. The first is that trusting yourself or anything else is worthless. Knowing and trusting God is actually the ultimate treasure. Now, I want to say just a little bit about the book of Jeremiah to give you some context, and then we're going to jump into this and go through it. First of all, the book of Jeremiah, I don't know if you know this, it is the longest book in the Old Testament. How many of you knew that? It doesn't have, okay, excellent. It doesn't have the most chapters, and it doesn't have the most verses, but it has the most words. It is the longest book in the Old Testament, and it has one theme. The theme of the book of Jeremiah is, is, is God writing to the nation of Israel and saying, I'm displeased with you. I am unhappy. I am going to discipline you. And it is a challenge for them to repent. And I just think about when you think about this from a national perspective, God's message to Israel in the book of Jeremiah should be listened to in our country. And one of the things that God specifically says to Israel is he says, you've done two terrible things. One is that you've forsaken me. Uh, we have a nation that has forsaken God, and there are many individuals in our nation that have forsaken God. That's the first terrible sin. That's in Jeremiah 2.13. The second one in the same verse is that not only have you forsaken me, but you have replaced me with things that could never provide what I provide. We have a country that, that is full of people that when they need something, they don't look to God for it. They rebel against God and try to supply their own needs, and they were under discipline. And here's the message, and like these two verses come to Israel in a context of, of God saying, don't think that your wisdom, your strength, or your riches can spare you from me. When I'm going to discipline you, when I'm displeased with you, your life, your standing, your future is shaky. I'm your only strength, and nothing can strengthen you against me. Do we have a nation, and do we have people who feel like I'm rich enough, I'm powerful enough, I'm smart enough, I don't need God, I can do things my own way, and what will God do to me? Um, this is a passage that is just saying, don't put confidence in yourself. Put confidence in me. So that's the context of this. And uh, um, one of the other things, Jeremiah has been given this ministry, and God tells him, nobody's going to listen to you. How, how'd you like that? Um, hey, uh, we're calling you to be a pastor in this church and, or in this city, and nobody's going to listen. Nobody's going to respond to anything you say, but you need to say it faithfully. Uh, that was Jeremiah's life. And there's no biblical record or any indication of specifically that anybody ever listened to Jeremiah. 
there is something, though, that we see that's kind of interesting and that we go, no, actually, somebody did listen to Jeremiah. You want to know how we want to know what that is? Did you know that Daniel grew up during the ministry of Jeremiah? Uh, the nation was in sin. God sends in the Nebuch- Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to punish them. And have you ever read the, the, the been reading through the Old Testament and you just stumble ac- across this person, Daniel, and have you ever thought to yourself, how did Daniel and his three friends, how do they come out of this sinful nation and be so faithful Uh, Just honor the Lord. Like, how does that happen in a culture where everybody's wicked and everybody's evil and nobody's listening to the word of God? How did Daniel and his friends end up there? And it's because they were people who were living during the time of Jeremiah's ministry, and when nobody else was paying attention, they were. And you actually even see that in the book of Daniel. Daniel talks about how he's studying the writings of Jeremiah. When he went into exile, he probably remembered this great prophet, probably a personal friend, somebody that he looked up to and was inspired by, and he had Jeremiah's writings in Babylon, and he studied those. And so we see that regardless of what's happening in our nation, nothing stops you and I from saying, I'm going to be like Daniel. I'm not going to be like everyone else. So let's read here and find out Uh, what God is going to tell us. This is the first thing that we're going to see is that trusting ourselves is worthless. Let's read this. Jeremiah 9.23, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Um. The, f- the first thing I want you to notice here is this opens with the phrase, let, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord. You know, that phrase it occurs 153 times in Jeremiah. The next closest is Isaiah, and it's 30. How many of you guys, this is going to be a test of your age. How many of you guys remember the E.F. Hutton commercials? I just want to see some hands if you know what that is. Okay, so that, I'm surprised there's that many people. I guess we got a lot of old people here. No, just kidding. So there was this commercial that ran in the 70s and 80s, and it was, it was a brokerage firm, E.F. Hutton. And so there'd be like little kids in school, and they'd be talking, and some little kid would say, E.F. Hutton, and all the kids would go like, stop, and go like this. Or somebody would be eating in a restaurant, and a broker would say to the other one, my broker says this, what does your broker say? And then the other guy would say, my broker is E.F. Hutton. And E.F. Hutton says, and then the entire restaurant would get quiet and everybody would go like this. I just want you to know that when God says something, every single person should stop what they're doing and they should give God their full attention. That should be our life. And this starts by saying, thus says the Lord. Now, as far as boasting, You know, there's kind of two definitions of boasting. One is to brag. It's to pride yourself in something. It's to proclaim the things you do well. That's boasting. Uh, There's another boast. Have you ever heard the word boast used this way? Where it'll say, this restaurant boasts, or this hotel boasts of the biggest swimming pool. Or this city boasts of this thing. It's, it's It's when you're marked by something. It's something that, that represents something significant. And the second meaning of boast, really the emphasis here is what gives you confidence in what do you trust? 
actually this word is used in the context of worship. What do you worship? What do you glory in? This word is translated as glory in many cases. What is it that you're glorying in, that you're happy about, that you're giving your attention to? Um, it, this Greek word, the, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this word is used, the Apostle Paul uses it in the sense of sufficiency. Our sufficiency is from Christ. What is, what provides for you sufficiency? That's, that's this idea of boasting. And so he's going to start by telling us what not to trust. Don't trust wisdom. You know what wisdom is? I mean, the Bible holds wisdom up high. Wisdom is skillful living. It, it requires understanding. It requires knowledge. But it's actually not just understanding and knowledge. It's the ability to apply understanding and knowledge. Have you ever met somebody who has a degree in something, but they don't do it very well? Have you ever uh, talked to somebody who, uh, man, they're giving you all kinds of, here's how you work out, this is how you should lift weights, but when you look at them, they're weak, and they're not in good shape. But man, they could talk to you for an hour about the science of exercise. Um, wisdom is the opposite of that. Wisdom is that you know it, and you apply it. And God is telling Israel, don't boast in your wisdom. Who was the wisest person in the Old Testament? It was Solomon. And you want to know what Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, he says wisdom is futile. Wisdom without God is completely empty, and that's the key, wisdom without God. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. There are many people that when it comes to life, when it comes to things that God says, they say, well, I'm, I'm not going to trust what God says. I think in this situation, I know what's better. There's all kinds of people struggling with all kinds of difficulties in their life. The right thing is never to trust your own wisdom. The right thing is to always say, what does God say about this situation? You just trust it and you do it. You trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Wise men should not trust their wisdom. The other thing is that people should not trust their strength. Now think about that in the Old Testament. Um, it was, man, strength was important. Uh, people had to fight physically. And so strong people should not trust their strength. And in our day, that might not just be physical strength. That might be power. It might be influence. Um, but strength, don't trust your strength. Uh, we can have a tendency to do that. Um, I actually can even be that way a little bit. Um, we'll go to hotels sometimes. And if we're on the first floor, Michelle's like, I don't want to stay on the first floor. Because what if somebody comes in? I want to be on the second floor where it's safer. Or one time I was going to bed at night and I wanted to leave the door open. And Michelle was just saying, um, I don't want to leave the door open. I mean, the door is wide open. Somebody could come here at night while we're sleeping. You know what I always said to her? I always said, Michelle, I'm here. <laughs> You're safe as long as I'm here. Somebody comes into our house at night, don't be worried about you. They should be worried about them. Sometimes we can trust our own strength. And there are, there are many ways that we can have that strength. But, you know, that's actually one of the things God wants us to see as we read and study Scripture 
is that we could never trust our own strength. Think about Pharaoh and how strong Pharaoh was. And when God said, let my people go, and Pharaoh said, no, Egypt was destroyed. Or what about the, 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 the Canaanite nations as Israel was going into the land of Canaan and Jericho's there and they have this big powerful wall that's their protection that they were trusting. Did it help them? No, God made the wall fall down. Now what about Goliath, this big, massive, strong man, and he was defeated by a 15-year-old boy? Nobody should trust their strength. Your wisdom is not wise enough. Your strength is not strong enough. And you should also not trust your wealth. I love this proverb. A rich man's wealth is a strong city and like a high wall in his own imagination. What gives you confidence for the future? Is it your inheritance? Is it your 401k? Is it the money that you've been able to amass? It is amazing how However much money there is, it can be evaporated in a moment. And people trust their wealth and their riches. They're rebelling against God. They're living a life without relying on the Lord. And, and they're looking at all these things that give them tr- strength in life, that give them confidence for the future. And God says, don't trust those things. Instead, what should we focus on what should we trust? It's this, Jeremiah 9, 24. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So there's two words that are used here, understanding and knowledge. And those are, those are two different emphases. The first one is understanding. It is an intellectual comprehension of something. It's to be able to define it, to be able to intellectually understand something. This second word is the word for know. It has to do with personal, intimate experience with a person, knowing somebody personally. In fact, this is the word that's used where it says, Abraham knew his wife and she gave birth. It's that personal, intimate, close um, relationship with somebody. And so we do need to intellectually understand truth about God. But beyond that, we need to know him personally. That is the foundation. That is the basis of our confidence for the future of everything in life. It's where God says, that the eyes of the Lord seek to and fro across the earth, that he may strongly support those whose hearts are fully his. It's Psalm 1. Um, Psalm 1, the end of Psalm 1 is just saying that the person who knows the Lord, who trusts the Lord, who relies on God's wisdom, will be like a tree firmly planted. And when the storms of life come, he will not wither. He will not be blown away. Because he is planted in God himself. And so this is the trust. Um, It's our relationship with the Lord. It is knowing God personally. And then we're going to see three things that are mentioned here. And these are important because these are three things we need to actually know about God. And they are also things that we need to reflect in our life. Let's look at this. It says, 
But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. That word for practices, that means that that that's talking about the kind of character God has. It's talking about who God is, not just what he does. God is a doer of what is in his heart, in his nature, in his character, and he practices these things in the earth. So in the realm of where we are, God is always doing these things. It's an expression of who he is. And what are these three things that are listed Well, God exercises loving kindness. That word for loving kindness is translated several ways in the Old Testament. Faithfulness, loyalty, devotion, steadfast love. It's God's love. It's his reliability. It's his compassion. What's interesting is Jonah cites this quality when he says, I don't want to go to Nineveh because, God, you are a God of loving kindness. And you're going to forgive the Ninevites. When David sins and he goes and he confesses, David says, God, don't treat me as my sin deserves, but treat me according to your loving kindness. That's one of the things we need to know about God. We need to intellectually understand his loving kindness, that he loves us regardless of what's going on. It's never too late to repent. It is never too late to confess sin. God loves us and he cares about us and we're his children That is the first thing mentioned, that we need to know that about God, not just intellectually, but that needs to inform how we think and how we feel and how we act. The other thing is that God is loving, but God is also a God of justice. You know, in many cases in our country and in in religion, people have made a God of, they've just imagined what they want God to be like. And God is loving and God is merciful and God never punishes anybody. And there is no eternal separation from God. A loving God would never do that. They redefine love in a way that is not biblical. But God is a loving God, but he's also a God of justice. And that's something that we need to think about that. That needs to inform us. In fact, the Apostle Paul encourages Christians that are being persecuted. And he says, isn't it right for God to repay with affliction those who are afflicting you? Remember Romans 12:17 through 21 where it says, never take your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Like to think about the confidence that that gives us in life. That when we're mistreated, when things happen in life that are wrong, and it shouldn't be that way, that it's not for us to fix things. We just love people. We return good for evil. And we trust that God will mete out justice in the right way. We trust his justice. There's also a sense of justice that informs the way you and I live. If God is a just God, we should take seriously how we treat other people. We should make sure that as Christians, we are never taking advantage of anybody because God is a just God and God sees everything that happens. And so as we see that, it's important for us to be mindful of God's justice. The other thing is that God exercises righteousness. Um, In Isaiah 6, the angels are in God's throne room. And what are they saying? They say one word over and over three times. What do they say? 
They say, holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. God is a holy God. God always does what is right. As Christians, we should be reflecting God's righteousness. That should inform the language we use. It should inform the behavior that we engage in. God wants us to live righteously because he's righteous. These are things that are really critical for us. And then that verse ends by saying, in these things I delight. Now think about that. Why is God that way? Because he loves those things. He loves loving kindness. He loves justice. He loves righteousness. And so that's what he works out in the world. And if God loves that, then his children should also express that. We should live in a way that God delights, that God loves. As his children, we don't do righteousness and justice, and we're not, we don't express loving kindness, and we don't show mercy, and we're not forgiving, and we don't reflect God's character because we're trying to earn his approval. Uh, we reflect God's character because he's come into our heart. He changes who we are. And we need to be people that are committed to living those things out. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 says this, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. God's put you on this earth to reflect his character and his, nat his nature in the body of Christ. Think about what God's loving kindness means. Think about what his justice and righteousness mean. That's how God wants you to be with your Christian brothers and sisters. That's how God wants you to be on Sunday morning when you show up, that you treat fellow brothers and sisters in Christ with God's gracious loving kindness, that you are just with your brothers and sisters in Christ, that you live righteously. So God wants us to be like that within the church, and God also wants us to be like that outside the church. It is our job as we live in the world to reflect and to live out God's character. You know, this is the encouragement that I have for all of us. We should not trust our country. We should not trust ourselves. We should pursue and have confidence in a relationship with God. That is what brings stability in all of life. And that is something that will bring God's favor into your life. We don't earn God's favor. But if we disregard these things, if we don't show love to our brothers and sisters in Christ, if we don't show love outside, if we're not just, if we are not righteous, that brings God's discipline. And just like the nation of Israel, after all they heard about God, after all the things they knew about him, they ignored him, and they thought their well-being would protect them from God's discipline. And so one of the things we need to know is that if you're walking faithfully with the Lord, even things that go wrong, God will use to bless you. Like Joseph, right? Faithfully honoring the Lord, and God uses him. He went through some trials and difficulties in his life, but God sticks him in Egypt, exalts him. He does these great things. 
and if you're walking faithfully with the Lord, that's what God will do with you in your life. If, on the other hand, you're ignoring what God says, you are blaming everybody else instead of taking responsibility for yourself. You are focused on getting what you want instead of expressing love. You are focused on getting what you want instead of being just. You are focused on living for your own pleasure instead of being holy. Well, like Israel, we should not think that we will escape God's discipline in our life. No matter how wise we are, no matter how strong we are, no matter how rich we are, we are no match for God. The great thing is that if you know God, if you genuinely know him personally, um, he'll never crush you, he'll never destroy you, but if you're disobedient, you will face discipline. And so these things, hey, we, we, love, we love Jesus, we love God. And I think about, um, um, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper right now, and as I think about our standing and our, the basis of our relationship with God, it is the work of Jesus. It's not our behavior. It is the work of Jesus in which we stand. Think about um, the temple when Jesus died on the cross. We, we talked about this. Um, it says this, Mark 15, 38, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When Jesus died, that separation, needing to go through a, pe- a priest, needing sacrifice, that was removed. That, that, that uh, curtain was torn from top to bottom. It says this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, it goes on to say, let us draw near with confidence. Our relationship with Jesus, with God, is based on Jesus himself. Let's take this cup, if you have it with me, and and, uh, we're going to eat the bread. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord... What I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember the work of Christ. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink. God, I thank you for our nation. I thank you for our country. I thank you for the many blessings that we have received. Lord, it is a privilege to live in our country. It is a privilege to live in the area where we live. 
And Lord, I just ask that you would help us to appreciate all those things as a good gift from you. And yet, Lord, I ask that you would help us to never misunderstand or to think that our stability in life comes from anything other than our relationship with you. Lord, we thank you for your your character, your nature. We ask that you would help us to live that out, to reflect it both in the church and outside the church. In your name, amen.